is Happiness Solved with Sandy Scarlatta. Stay tuned for my interview with Natalie Souders. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Happiness Solved. So today I am speaking with Natalie Souders. She does such important work, and I'm so excited for this interview, for you all to hear this interview, because it is something that is so needed in today's world, especially now more than ever. So Natalie received her master's degree in social work from West Virginia University back in 2013, and ever since, she has been providing counseling to children, adults, and families facing a variety of mental health challenges. Her greatest passion, however, is working with teenagers regarding their identity, self-esteem, and the continuously evolving issues that they face in our current world. And we all know the challenges that, that they are facing right now. Now, in addition, Natalie also works with women concerning postpartum depression and anxiety, as well as the challenges that come from motherhood. So she has studied social work in Southeast Asia, Northern Ireland. She was also introduced to a type of therapy that we're going to talk about today called EMDR. But in 2020, Natalie published her first book, which is called Dear Mama. It was inspired by her personal struggles with postpartum depression. She describes her life as eccentric because she enjoys chasing things on her bucket list. Don't we all, right? Some of her more exciting bucket list achievements include skydiving, floating in the Dead Sea, visiting Notre Dame, um, being an extra on several uh, TV shows, going to Hawaii, and I love this one, turning 30 in California so she could get three extra hours of being 29. <laughs> That's awesome. I think I'll do that for, for my next uh, big birthday. What a great idea. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this interview. Like I said, it's really important message that she's getting out there to the world. Hey, Natalie, how are you today? I'm doing great. How about you? Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And you're kind of close to me. You're in West Virginia. I'm in Virginia, right? Yes. Yeah. That's great. So tell me about what you do for a living, because I want to hear it from you. I know what you do, but I want to hear you talk about it. <laughs> So, well, you know, I actually do live in Maryland now. I work oh, in West okay. Virginia, which you is also where I grew up. Okay. But, you know, if you're familiar with the shape of West Virginia, I lived in the area that's very close to Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Maryland. And so when my youngest child was a year old. We, we hopped. We hopped into a different state. But I do still work in West Virginia as a private practice therapist. I work with primarily teens and women. And I also do a great deal of work with postpartum depression. And I do EMDR, which is a trauma therapy. Oh, wow. Tell me about that. What's that about, trauma therapy? Trauma therapy is just a great way. You know, EMDR is, is more cutting edge than a lot of therapies because it came out, I believe, in the 1980s. But the woman who developed it recognized that bilateral stimulation helped process a trauma. And so it's sort of like if you um, filed an experience in the incorrect file, EMDR helps you refile it. You know, a lot of traumas, we feel like we're reliving them constantly. And what EMDR helps us do is file it back the neuro pathway and so that we can clearly recognize it happened, it's over. And now when I think about it, I don't feel it. You know, I'll never be happy it happened, but I no longer am debilitated by the thought of that trauma. Wow. The only reason why I asked that is because I went through years and years of therapy myself. My older brother died when I was 12 years old. And unbeknownst to me, you know, that was in 1978. 
and you know it was taboo to go seek help right i it was like smile and everything's going to be okay and you know and then you know fast forward into my early 20s i ended up you know abusing cocaine which was kind of the thing to do in the 80s not that that's an excuse but it was you know i yeah. was never into drugs and would never do it because my brother actually died partly because of being on a lot of drugs but he fell out of a window and well, we don't know if he was pushed or if he fell, but through therapy, what I realized is I had a you know a little bit of a postpartum depression, not postpartum depression. That's what you that's what you're talking about today. Um, PTSD oh, is what oh, I was yeah. thinking of, and and how it manifested in me was that I used to always worry about like my husband would die. Mm -hmm. You know, when he got on an airplane, I was so sure it was going to crash, or when he was in a car. He was going to be in a car accident and die. So, you know, through therapy, that really helped me. But it sounds like, you know, what you're doing is even better. And now it doesn't really, I, I still go to those places sometimes, but I'm like, I'm able to snap back into, no, okay, you know, we have to trust. Everything's going to be okay. That kind of thing. Right. You know, and EMDR, so I, I've only worked, even though I worked as a therapist since 2013, I've only been doing EMDR for, I believe, around two years. So when I say it's a newer therapy um, in terms of mental health, you know, this is certainly the post-Freud era of, of things like EMDR. And so there's uh, much that I don't know that I am still learning about it, but it does have benefits for women with postpartum depression. There's been a few TV, medical TV shows. I believe Grey's Anatomy had an episode where someone got EMDR treatment. So it is starting to pop up. Quick Google search will help people understand it a little bit more. But um, it does make a difference and it, it is beneficial for women with postpartum depression. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that because, you know, I've, I had five pregnancies and one baby. Oh, <laughs> so okay. having four miscarriages, Sorry. you know, certainly did a number on my psyche. But mm -hmm. fortunately, after having my son, I didn't experience any of that. So what is that like for women? So, you know, I appreciate you asking that. The thing about postpartum depression is that I would say very few women recognize they're experiencing it. You're told about the baby blues. That's pretty, you know, the two weeks or so after you have a baby, extreme hormonal up and downs. Okay. Like that makes sense. But what is also terrifying is that, you know, you have a baby, you leave the hospital and then they have you come back within a couple of days. Right. And then a couple of days after like they're constantly checking up on this baby. As a woman, you have a baby and no one checks on you for six weeks, right? Well, six weeks is a long time if you have postpartum depression. Oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, no one seems to think I never that. thought about it that way. Yeah. And you also most likely in our country do not have a spouse at home with you for most of that time. Right. So, you know, and I have a wonderful husband, great guy. And, you know, he's he seems really, like it. <laughs> he is. He's a wonderful husband. He helped you with all the technical he, difficulties you had today. Yeah, so that was yeah. great. <laughs> he's, he's always, he will physically do it. Change diapers, get up. Like he was never that, you know, never an issue with that. But emotionally, it was a massive disconnect because um, I think that there probably is this assumption that because I'm a woman, like it's going to be very automatic. And, it, you know, nothing just went right. And I think what's terrifying too is that there's really no check and balance. You know, if you tried to go back to the hospital um, and say like, I am super depressed, I am, you know, suicidal, I am catatonic, you know, whatever you're experiencing, 
there's no separate kind of setup for you. It would sort of be like, you know, all mental health patients are kind of lumped together in the hospital, right? Like there is no postpartum. Hey, like, let's do a reset. Let's, you know, get you evaluated. Maybe you need medication or, or maybe, you know, your spouse needs to not go into work for a little bit or whatever. There's, there's nothing like that. You're really floating on your own. Why is that? That doesn't seem to make sense because there's so many, I don't even know. I mean, do you know the statistics? Are there any statistics? Yeah, I, you know, I don't have them off the top of my head, but the other thing that's really scary is just that there's, because the evaluations for postpartum depression are so limited, like no one's checking for that. So the statistics, I mean, I don't even know how, how someone could believe them. I, I have three children and my first child in 2013, when I had my third child back in 2017, I went to my six week appointment and they gave me a form that was like a questionnaire and I could tell it was a questionnaire to figure out if I was having symptoms of postpartum depression. And I just cried. And I said, where were you five years ago? Like you did not have this. Right. And the lady just said, no, this is something new. And I'm like, new, you know, do you know what this would have done for me? If you'd had a simple paper five years ago, like somebody would have diagnosed me hopefully before I left this building. Somebody could have made sure I had treatment. Somebody could have made sure I had support. And it's sort of like they just lump this stuff in like, okay, well, we'll do this now. But it's like you missed time and time again, women with severe postpartum depression. And it's it doesn't necessarily just go away. I think that's the other thing is people sort of believe that it disappears, but it morphs. It shows up in ways that are very, very ugly, you know, postpartum rage, postpartum anxiety, just a, a limited ability to bond with your child. I think the other thing, the other misconception is that postpartum depression, people confuse that with postpartum psychosis. So people think that, you know, it means you want to injure your child. You know, like, I mean, we hear about that kind of thing, but that's not postpartum depression. You know, postpartum depression looks very different and it can look different in, in women. You know what I mean? Like there's not always one clear cut thing, but when you look back, you know, when you're through it and you're on the other side of it, it's really terrifying. It really is terrifying how you're essentially left on your own with another person, a hundred percent in need of your care. Like there is no ability to go and say, Hey, what are my self-care options right now? Right? Like you can't just leave. You can't just walk away. You can't just go get a shower. Like you are a hundred percent needed every second you're in existence. Yeah. I think that was the big thing for me. The realization that, wow, I've got this little baby and my mom stayed with me for a whole week. And the only time I really needed her was when I had to give him a bath for the first time. (laughs) Because I was like, I was so terrified. And then it was fine, you know, and all that. And I actually couldn't wait for her to leave because it was kind of like, okay, bye. You know, I, I got this now. So you alluded to the fact that you had some postpartum depression. Yeah. So I. Do you want to talk about that? I mean, that's up to you. I, I will talk about it a little bit. I have said many times if I could have published this book under a pseudonym and made it, you know, where it made it out there on its own, I would have done that because it is a part of my life that I'm not happy I've experienced. Um, I don't carry any shame from it like I used to. I think that I'm able to look now and say how many people failed me. You know, it wasn't the other way around. I didn't fail these systems in place the medical community, you know, my husband, who I love dearly, you know, and he's comfortable understanding that emotionally he failed me. And there's been times in life I've failed him. You know, I want to 
make sure to say that, but sort of everything in line that is supposed to be your, your defense there failed miserably. And I think that, yeah, so I had my daughter in 2013, tons of celebration. I mean, people had big showers. It was a beautiful time. Everything looked right. But I do remember I was in my final semester of grad school. So I was interning, trying to get to grad school. And I remember I was pretty far along my pregnancy thinking to myself, if I had a miscarriage, I don't know that I'd be upset. Like, and that should have been my first clue that I didn't have this connection. And I just remember thinking like, I don't know, like, I just, like, if I had a miscarriage, it'd be, I'd be like unhappy, but I I don't know that I'd feel like I lost a, a baby. And, you know, looking back, that that was definitely a sign that some that the bonding just wasn't happening. So fast forward, there was really a lot of pressure that I had to have my baby, you know, at a certain time because you couldn't finish your internship too early. Like the way the program went, I was interning in the school. You had to intern through, um, I think, May. So I had to have this baby like so that it coincided with spring break because I couldn't take time off. You know, it was this, this big pressure. Lo and behold, everything kind of worked out in that sense. My husband was working in D.C. It was a two-hour commute home. I went into labor while I was taking a test for grad school online. I went oh into labor, gosh. finished the quiz. I failed it, but I got through it. You know, he comes home. Okay, we get to the hospital. Everything looks like it's going well. And the midwife I had at the time was training another midwife. And something, all of a sudden, kind of my labor just stopped and nobody knew what it was. And I, I don't know. It just something didn't go right. Well, eventually, you know, I had my baby, waited a little bit longer, had her, and she came out face up. So that was kind of the first uh, issue because if, why is why is that an issue? I'm not familiar with that. So she ended up with like severe bruise on her head, which ultimately gave her jaundice. So that was more medical complication. And then in addition, she bruised my tailbone, which nobody caught. Again, this is like I had no idea what was going on until I'm like you know. A little while later, I'm in just this agonizing pain and I can't figure it out. And they're like, oh, well, she probably messed up your tailbone. Like just really nonchalantly. I'm like, okay, like I can't lay, like you don't realize how often you use your tailbone, you know, like they come in and want you to get up and stuff. I'm like, I can't move. I cannot function. Like my tailbone is, you know, nothing was helping. It was just a big mess. So she's, you know, severely jaundiced. They send me home from the hospital anyway, and they give me like this light up blanket. Well, you know, it's like this hard plastic light up blanket. Anybody who's got a baby knows that like what baby's going to sit there and not scream in that, right? So it's all this screaming. I also, nobody caught that she was lip and tongue tied. So I was breastfeeding. She wasn't gaining weight. Nobody could figure out what was going on. And I was about 40 minutes from her doctor. I lived in West Virginia. You know, it's a rural area still. There wasn't anything right there. So every time I had to get in the car, I needed someone to drive me because my tailbone was so messed up. You know, I'm driving, we're going to all these appointments. So it's constantly in the car. My husband had one week of paternity leave and we got to stay home one day because of just appointments. Wow. So there was really no, you know, no rest. He goes back to work. And she ends up, you know, having severe colic and and acid reflux. So her weight gain just kept dropping. And which, again, you know, there's a pressure on me. It was the like, well, you're the reason she's not gaining weight. I would barely eat anything because I was getting I was so depressed. I couldn't eat. 
And I remember her doctor telling me, I would usually eat a bowl of cereal. And the doctor said, well, that's the problem. You stop eating that. Like, you know, and then that'll stop your kid's colic. Yeah, that it was like a dairy product or something. I'm like, you realize that's like the only thing I eat. I would get up, be able to eat a bowl of cereal. And that was it because by 10 o'clock, she was screaming throughout the rest of the day. So it was a really lonely time, right? Because, you know, I lived in a townhouse. You didn't want to open your windows. I was afraid someone would call the police, you know, because she screamed. I mean, just this blood curdling screaming. So there was certainly no enjoyment. You know, she, I felt like she always scowled. Um, and then on top of that, when she was three and a half weeks old, I had to go back to interning two days a week to finish my internship. And I did it. Like I made it through. I had supportive people to help me, but I was like hauling a breast pump there. I, we didn't have a lot of money. So it was a very poor quality breast pump that, you know, was just a, a pain to use. And when I say nothing went right, I mean, literally nothing went right. It was just the total opposite of everything you expected. And there was, I was foolish to allow people to pressure me that to bring my child to visit or that, you know, it was a holiday or some family event. And instead of saying, it's not going to work. You know, I was sort of this guilt trip of like, well, everybody wants to see the baby. Again, no one cared about me, right? It was just this like, well, what's best? You know, we want to see the baby. No one ever once was like, hey, Natalie just had a baby. What does she want to do for these first holidays? Yeah. Now, do you think because she was colicky and losing weight and things like that, because I and I, I'm, I just want to preface this that I'm coming from a place of not knowing anything about postpartum depression. Does that did that have anything to do with you, or, or are they two separate things? So you know, people can have a fat, happy baby and still have postpartum depression, okay. but you are more at risk if you have a health issue or if your child had a health issue. Okay. Um, or if you had difficulty conceiving, there's things that make you more at risk, and. I really think like my tailbone alone, I I just don't think people realize like how, you know, insanely painful that was. And to that, you know, that's nothing you read about, right? Like all the things you read about that you're going to deal with with recovery. Nobody said not being able to walk because your tailbone's messed up. That wasn't on the list. (laughs) When you first said that, I kind of giggled only because I was a competitive figure skater growing up and we used to call it breaking your butt. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I would probably break my butt at least once a month. And it's horrible. And you're right. It's hard to stand up. It's hard to sit down. I mean, it, it is the most painful thing. But I had no idea that that can happen from childbirth. I always thought, because like I would fall in a sitting up position. Okay? Oh, yeah. So you're, you know, slamming right down. If you can imagine, you know, sitting and then just bam. So, so that's why we would, we would call it breaking your butt. But that's, it's hard for me to imagine that could happen through childbirth, but I guess the baby coming out of, I, I don't know. Right. It has to do with that thing with the way the baby's head's supposed to squish. And if it doesn't, because she was face up, it, it okay. puts pressure there, you know, and that, I'm not exactly sure either of all the um, technical reasons, but, um, you know, that was, so the medical issue started pretty instantaneously for me. And then you, you know, I do my internship, I graduate, I'm dealing with all this pressure. I knew that things were definitely off. And I can remember one time, like my husband telling me, we need to go to the hospital because I was just so like, oh, I mean, out of control emotional. Like I was just couldn't stop crying. 
And I just wept and wept. And he, and I, I said, no, I said, this is just a baby blues. Like I, I just pushed off. I'm like, this is normal. And now because I've had other children, I, I think I'd see that it wasn't normal, but he, he recognized it and he didn't know what to do about it. And, you know, keep in mind, my husband commuted two hours each way, five days a week. So, you know, when he would tell me he was going to be home by seven and he would get home at seven or five, like I had lost it by then. You know, like it's like when you say you're going to be home at seven, it takes everything I have to be able to hold on until seven o'clock. Like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it. Right. And I would call him out of my mind and say, you need to leave. You need to walk out of the job and come home. And he never did. Never once. And he looks back now and realizes, you know, obviously that was a mistake. But at the time, in his mind, he thought, this is just us getting used to having a baby. Like, it'll be fine. We just got to make it through this time period. Like he didn't realize that it was far more than that. It wasn't an adjustment to having a baby. It was me dying from postpartum depression a little bit more every day. Oh my gosh. You poor um, thing. That just oh. And then and then having a baby that's that needs that attention and I mean, just having a baby that's crying all the time is is enough to set anybody over the edge. Anyway. I <laughs> yeah. I, I never hurt my child, but I understand. I understand people who snap and lose it. I, I feel like I see that, how, how people get there. And, you know, so it was just, it was just a terrible, terrible time. It really was. And, and there was a neighbor who had a little baby who was, you know, all that was another thing. Everybody I interacted with had good babies, right? Mm. If I got the courage to go out and be around someone, they had a good baby and I didn't. And they never once put pressure on me, but it was in my head now, like, why can't I make my baby be happy when these other moms can? And I think probably the lowest point for me, I think the point when I really knew there was a problem, like where it was very obvious is I went to church our first time back in church and my husband was on some ministry committee. And so he sets me, you know, sets me up. Our church, you know, wasn't super huge. And then he goes off to do whatever with that ministry. And our pastor, probably thinking he was being nice, was up there talking about something and then said right from up front, like, well, who's the newest mom here? It would be Natalie. Natalie, no one had to tell you to love your baby, right? It's automatic. And so, of course, everybody looks at you. And the only thing I thought was, I don't love her. Oh, I'm so sorry. But how do you say that, right? Yeah. And I thought, I... I just feel nothing. Like I don't, I, I have no connection to this child. Um, I can remember the first time I automatically sang to her. She was months old. And I even, I was, you know, there was just nothing. It was very, very blank. And my husband gave me a Mother's Day card written from her to me. And I sobbed. And it was really without him knowing, you know, for all the things that he missed, he gave me this, gave me this card. And there's a picture of it in my book, Dear Mama, because it was her speaking to me. And it was like, that was what was missing. There is this, you know, this child can't really look at you correctly. They don't smile at you. You know, they don't talk to you. And you are giving up your entire existence. You know, your body, you're giving up your mind. You're giving up your ability to eat, use the bathroom, get a shower, anything. And you, you there's just nothing coming back from them. And so... As through the years, as I dealt with the postpartum, because it lasted, it lasted pretty heavily for two years. Wow. I, I finally went to the doctor when she was two years old. And they, again, were very dismissive. They're like, well, you're not going to hurt yourself, right? Like it was, it was very dismissive. 
which took two years for me to walk in there and try to get help. And I became pregnant again and things really normalized. Like I don't even know how to explain it. My, my daughter who had been so difficult up until two years became like this perfect two-year-old, you know, potty. Like, like, so now all of a sudden I had this easy kid compared to my friends, but, but she was talking, right. When they're two, they're talking to you. They're smiling at you. They're singing to you. So there was really a lot of bonding happening. But somewhere in there, I decided, like, I used to have my kids talk to me like that, even when they couldn't. That was sort of the way that I worked through it, is I'd pretend that they were talking to me at night, like when things were peaceful, I would kind of, you know, try to channel that a little bit. And I wrote, Dear Mama, I just wrote it. And then I never did anything with it. I just shelved it. So what year was that that you wrote it? You know, I wish I knew. I think it was around 2016. Okay. And I just left it there. And I'd always had this idea of doing a book and I just let it go. And then I, I'm a go-getter. I do a lot of things. And when COVID hit, by this point, I had had a lot of healthy coping mechanisms. I would do, I would act in TV shows. You know, I'd been an extra in a bunch of stuff. And Fun. Um, yeah, you know, it's a great, a great thing to do. I would, my husband and I would love to go to hockey games and concerts and, you know, I would take my kids to open gyms and library programs and, and everything, you know, we had all these good things. I would go to the gym a lot. The gym is my thing. They would go play in the daycare. All this was working. And then when COVID hits, everybody loses every healthy coping mechanism they have, right? Like across the board. So it's like, oh my gosh, like I, you know, I have this bucket list that I work towards and I have these goals for myself. And I'm like, I can't, I'm taking on all this additional stress because I'm teaching my kids now from home and I can't get again, any outlets for myself. There is nothing, no safety net, like no one's calling and checking on moms, right? You know, if you, it's COVID's taking priority and it, it, you know, my husband's still to go to work. So somewhere in the summer, I was like, I have to regain my life. Like if I don't do something for myself, I know where, where this is headed. I have got to still have some piece of me that is just me, you know, that I'm not giving to anyone. Absolutely. And, you got to take care of yourself. Right, right. I mean, that's why they, the, when the airplane's going down, they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself before someone else. And I told my husband, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to get an illustrator and get this book. I've Googled, I could not find anything like it. And as a therapist, you know, so many people don't have time to read a lot. They, you know, or I also use a ton of children's books with adults in therapy, right? I feel like sometimes I should publish the list of children's books I use, like The Giving Tree, The Dot. There's a bunch of other books that I'll read to adults and ask them. The Missing Piece is another one. And okay, just, so yeah. So what is it about the children's books that helps the adults in their, in their therapy? I think that the images are super, super important. A picture okay. says a thousand words. I think the images. Um, and that was really important to me was the images. And I also think that some people love books, you know, like my director, I've never seen anybody read like her in all my life. Like she just could pound the book a day. Like she's a super reader. Other people, they'll, they'll tell me like, I'm drowning. I don't have time to read a book. Like I, I just, exactly. And so I have a whole list of children's books that I use about self-esteem, just all these different different things. And I also think, you know, we read these as children. Then when you read them as adults, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, wow. So I, I wanted a children's book style book because I wanted to be 
maximum reward for minimum effort. And I contact an illustrator and I'm like, listen, this is kind of my thought. I don't know if you can do it. You know, just kind of went back and forth. And she's a married and relative of my husband's extended family. So I knew her a little bit, you know, and I, I saw her social media stuff on TikTok, especially where she's really artsy. I'm like, all right. Like, you know, she'd gone to art school and had a lot of degrees in that. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try to figure this out. And she was really like willing to work with me because I'm like, I I know I can't really explain it, but this is kind of what I want. I don't know if you can get it. And, and she did it, you know, she nailed it. She'd bring an image to me and then revise it. And I said, what I want is each image to show the struggle because Another thing, I, I will bet you anything, you go through your your library books. I mean, right, I've got three kids, so the books are pretty high here. It's happy mom after happy mom after happy mom after happy mom, whether the kids scream and whether the kids spilling stuff, no matter what, and then there's a huge mess and the mom's still happy, right? Like every picture, the mom is happy. And I said, I just want like her in the struggle. Like, where's that, you know? Exactly, because it's not all... Happy, 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 happy. I mean, every mom goes through struggles. It's, it's impossible not to. Right. So this book, while I believe it could be a very good bonding tool for a mom who's struggling with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, I think any mom would love it because, and I tell you something else, some of the feedback that I've gotten that has been the most meaningful to me is the men who have come back and said, this helps me see my wife. Yes. Like, you know, this helped me understand her better. Or I wish, you know, my wife had this because we really struggled and didn't know what to do. And, you know, that means the most to me because my husband's pretty vocal now. You know, like if somebody tells him they're having a baby, like a husband, he'll be like, look for postpartum depression. You know, he's like, he's not ashamed to say it and, and that kind of thing. But the amount of men who've come back with that feedback has been, has been great. That's incredible though, because, you know, I was talking with somebody recently about depression and how people are talking about it. And now, I mean, it's great, but now it's an emergency. Yeah. Right? And it's. I feel like it's an emergency because so many people don't want to talk about it. And we have to talk about this topic. And especially postpartum depression, I think, is even more important because they're taking care of a little innocent baby that can't take care of themselves. Right. And, you know, the, the company my husband worked for at the time now has a pretty large paternity leave. It's, I think, like two months. And when he mentioned that to me, again, just nonchalantly, hey, you'll never guess what? They added two months paternity leave. I sobbed. I'm <laughs> like, you realize that could have changed my life if yeah. they would have had that policy. Like, you know, I was like, they need to call me and apologize. You know, that was my attitude. I'm like, whoever put that policy in place, they need to call me up and say, we are sorry we did not have this because... You know, you really could have ended your life in a low moment. You could have done something because we had this crappy policy and you were suffering. And it's not like they ever, you know, there's not like this open door. Hey, if you're having a hard time in your family after a new baby, please tell us. Right. They're not encouraging that. They're back to business. Well, I think that also has to do with some of the FMLA laws. And yeah, you know, my husband didn't even know FMLA existed. And so when I had a second child. His company still had one week paternity leave and we saved up so that he could take two weeks without pay Wow! to try to prevent that from happening again. And it three weeks, three weeks made all the difference. I really think, I mean, a lot of things went right. There were health issues and everything, but um, we prepared for it very differently. 
And, you know, I love my husband, but again, I was like, they have FMLA. And he's like, I don't think so. I don't I'm like, they definitely have it. Like you need to go to Oxford. <laughs> and he just was oblivious. And I, I, you know, I love this book. Another thing, and I know the people at home can't see this. I hope you get a chance to see the book, but there's this great image in here. One of my very favorites, which I had wanted to basically look like the mom trying to work from home while deal with the baby. And this is, you know, one of my very favorites. And my son says to me yesterday, he's only two. And he looked at this picture. He just saw it there. He said, that's you. And <laughs> I'm like, he sees it. Like, yes, thank you. Yes. Like this is it. And, and each page in the struggle is the sort of the baby validating it and still say, you know, this is why I'm crying mama. I know you're trying to work, but um, like this page says, I know you have work to do mama, but I needed you. I don't know how to wait for you, mama. Oh, And it was, it's all written like that. And so that the baby is seeing the struggle, but still being a baby, you know? Of course. I mean, whoever tells you they see the struggle of motherhood, like, I mean, right? I mean, they're just not, nobody seems to see it. It's like, how much more can mom give? I know I've, I've mentioned this before in another episode of my podcast, but it's worth saying again to all the moms out there and dads that I read something, you know, my son was born in the year 2000 and I was like, had no clue what to do. Um, I was reading books and this and that. And I just remember reading something that was something to the effect of your children will always be watching you even when you don't realize it. Mm-hmm. And I that always stuck with me because even if you think he's playing over there and I'm over here, he's still watching me. And you have to be careful with the things you say. And, you know, and most parents realize that, but, you know, there's many that don't. But so even as a baby, they're they're looking at you and they, they don't understand. They don't understand what's going right. on with you. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, there is kind of that energy then that's getting transferred. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to get their needs met. And I just wasn't capable of meeting that child's need. You know, now her and I are thick as thieves. You know, um, if you ask, my husband would even say this, I'm her favorite, right? She just loves me. Um, and, you know, I'm so thankful that it has worked out that way because I look at her all the time and I think I could have done something that would have made me miss all her life, you know? Like when you're in those low moments, I don't think people understand how instantaneously it could go bad, right? I mean, it's really not that hard to end your life, as sad as it is to say that. And I, that's why I think anybody who ever says I'm having suicidal thoughts, you know, you or, or suicidal ideations, get help, tell someone, because it really takes a split second to do something that we just can't fix. Absolutely. And just a couple of weeks ago, I happened to be on Facebook and I saw a post from someone and it was, it just alluded to the fact that she wanted to die. Please God, just let me die. Yeah. And I, I started calling her on the phone and she finally picked up and I'm like, are you okay? And this is somebody who I haven't spoken to in over 10 years, but it concerned me so much that I had to, I had to reach out to her and make sure that she was okay. And I'm like, where's your husband? Is he there? Does he understand what you're going through? And he's like, and she's like, no, I'm okay. You know, but I mean, it's, you have, when you see that nowadays, you can't take it for granted with anybody. Right. Right. I mean, our suicide rate is very high in terms of the world suicide rate. And I think that, you know, we see rich people, famous people, 
end their lives. And so we can't just assume, you know, that people say that even if you think someone's doing it for attention, like that's not the coping mechanism you want them to use. Right. So either way, it's safer to check with them about that and say, hey, what do you mean by that? Hey, do you need help? No one ever wants, none of the medical professionals who knew what was going on with my child ever once checked in with me, right? Like it is a just assumption that whatever, I mean, it really makes you feel like you don't matter because no one ever cared. No one ever asked me about me. It was always about the health of my baby. And so you become really invisible, right? And my well-being seemed to be very much attached to hers. And so anything that was going wrong, it was always like, I mean, I couldn't even walk to, I remember one time coming into church and people just kept stopping me with these suggestions on what to do. And I'm like, okay, for starters, you know, certain stuff you're saying is actually aged out, right? You know, medical stuff improves constantly, like things you do with your kid. We, we don't do that anymore. And not only that, like, I, I'm not asking you for help with her, right? Like, I have tried everything. I have read everything I can get my hands on. I saw five lactation consultants in one week. Wow. You know, like, I mean, I gave it my all. I really gave everything I could. And these people just kept missing it. Mm. So, I mean, that's scary too. I'd say like to just tell someone like reach out to your doctor. Like I do hope that people do that, but if they miss it, you know, don't, you, you know, you better than anyone. And so if the medical community misses the fact that, you know, you're off or the fact that, you know, this is not how it's supposed to be. Keep trying or reach out you know, to a mental health professional, like reach out to someone who can get you help. Because I, I mean, for me, it was just a total miss I, by the medical community. Mm, that's such a shame. That is such a shame. I'm so sorry about that. So when you're working with a woman who has postpartum depression, what do you say to her? What are some of the, the dialogue? What's that dialogue like? So I think it's really important to always validate, you know, like I said, it looks different in every person. And so I'm not going to tell them, well, that's not that bad. Or, you know, there's people who have it worse. You never would say anything like that. Um, well, you can't when somebody's in the middle of, of going right. through any situation. You, you can't. That's the last thing on earth they want to hear. Right. I think that we we try to kind of gauge the function. We look for very small goals, you know, we, we break it down to like, okay, if we were at high level of functioning, this is what we could do. If our functioning is low, brushing our teeth, like you did it. Good job. You did your job for the day, brushing your teeth. Like that's it. And then we, I, I do, I do encourage this model and I have encouraged it before about dialoguing, having your child dialogue to you. Um, and that was another thing that pushed me to kind of do the book. Cause I'm like, I'm doing this in therapy, telling people that um, a bonding tool can can be having your child verbalize something to you. Like, what is your child saying? That type thing. Really a lot of boundaries, you know, and I'm speaking very generically because I obviously wouldn't ever want to breach any kind of confidentiality, but uh, boundaries and telling people like, I am sorry that it was normal in your day and age to haul the kid 10, 10 places on a holiday and and do every family function, but that's just not going to work for my life, right? I mean, one of my greatest regrets, my husband commuted two hours each way, Monday through Friday. We should have locked the doors on the weekend and just been like, sorry about your luck. You know, like I, it's not my job to give my child to people or to go to functions or anything because I'm drowning. And I think that setting really good boundaries and just saying, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's so-and-so's birthday party. We can't make it. Yeah. 
No, that makes sense. So today, how are things today for you? So I tell you, in a COVID world, I don't, I'm sure you can see this homeschooling in my background. We had pulled out <laughs> in our homeschooling because in my area's uh, school is virtual. So it has been another challenge. And, and like I said, the only thing I would thank COVID for is that it pushed me to get my book published. I always had a lot of respect for teachers, particularly elementary teachers, because I believe there's so much more than academics, right? I mean, there's just so much more. And I am learning and it's been a lot of guilt, I think, for that, because I am not up to snuff, you know, right? I'm, I'm my toddler's like destroying something while I'm trying to teach one of my kids math. And they're both on, you know, one's a kindergartner and one's a second grader. So we're piecing it together. But as this weather is turning nicer, I've made a lot of peace with just kind of letting it go. It's a nice day out. We're going to play like that's going to be our our thing today, because this family bonding time is what we need. Like, I'm going to just look more at that. And I'm developing more resources as well. You know, I'm working on my next project, which should be out before Mother's Day, which is a companion journal to follow up to this book. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. And I'm, I really want to fill in the gaps. I mean, so many people, even my mom read this and I believe my mom and she would tell you this had postpartum depression because I was also a miserable baby, right? She was probably the only person I think who got it because instead of trying to tell me there's no such thing as a bad baby, that's another line we don't use anymore, folks. That's aged out. There is such thing as a bad baby. I had one. And, you know, my mom would just say you were the same way. Like she would never try to tell me it's not that bad. She knew. She would just say you were the same way. And that gave me hope. You know, that gave me hope that um, that I could handle it. And thank goodness for your mom, because that mother-daughter thing is, you know, yeah, to have your mom there when you're having a baby, you know, is so important. So that's that's that was such a blessing that she could relate. It was. And she she said, you know, she saw this book and said, I wish there had been something like this when I had you. And so I am really determined to just kind of fill in the gaps where, you know, these corporate companies, you know, we had a baby and they send you like a very nice little bundle of like blankets and, you know, all these usable things. And I would love to see them say, hey, what about acknowledging the mental health? Like, can we can we acknowledge mom's mental health right there? Like, how about you put in this book and like reach moms? Because there's no mom who's not going to like it. You know, I made sure that it was really important to me that the images did not look like one woman. I wanted every mom to see herself. So, uh, you know, there's different hairstyles, different races. Oh, perfect. In this book, because I wanted every mom to find a picture that they felt looked like them. And That's brilliant. That's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So I really wanted this to just be right, because I mean, it's a level playing field. You could have any, any, you can look like anything and still suffer from postpartum depression. So I'd love to see kind of companies as they're trying to become more aware of mental health saying, hey, here's like something that you can use right off the bat. That you can read your baby and bond. You know, my kids love the pictures. They love if I read it. They think it's really cute that it's written that the baby's talking to the mom. So, you know, that's been a really a good validating experience that my kids connect with that book. Yeah. But I'm just going to keep trying to make the resources that I don't believe are out there. That's incredible, Natalie. The work you're doing is just is just amazing. And uh, wow. So where can the listeners find your book? So my book is available on Amazon. That's probably the best place to get it. I do have a website, DearMamaBooks.org, where I'll you know be posting about new release. Dear Mama Books is also my Instagram. But, but yeah, any of those platforms, you can find it and find a link to the book. 
And I would just encourage you to give it as a gift. That's another thing that's been really rewarding is how many people said, I'm buying this for, you know, a baby shower gift. And so many men too. And I think, you know, they're probably more in network with my husband just because he works primarily with, with a lot of men, but they figured out I wrote this book and they're like, oh, like we never knew what to get a new mom. We're going to give her, you know, a bunch of diapers in this book kind of thing. And I'm like, hey, that's like fantastic because you're, you're, you know, the gift of validation, right? That's what you're giving a mom when you give this book is the gift of validation. Oh, I love it. I love it. Natalie, is there anything else you'd like to share with listeners before we close up? So, um, you know, I just want to say that I always want to tell people that there is hope. You know, I never want someone to feel like there is no hope. I had my daughter had colic for five months and two weeks. And I had one friend and I remember I can still see it. I was on the phone with her. I was in the car and my child was like two months and I had read online colic lasts till three months. And I just kept thinking if I just survived a three months, if I just survived a three months. And I was on the phone with my friend and she said, my daughter collects six months. Oh no. And I thought I won't survive. I thought I will not live six months. And she had it five months and two weeks, you know, and I made it through and it was a, it was a very ugly process and it's, it was a terrible loss. You know, I lost a lot. You don't get that time back. But another thing I'd put in my book is, you know, of course, I wrote this book from a baby to mama and my husband had written a card to me from baby to mama. But one day randomly, this child who I suffered with and and just couldn't bond with, she wrote me this letter just all on her own. I love you because and she just listed all these things that she loved about me. And I put a picture of that in the book because I want moms to know there is hope like you are in. A, a situation that you need, you need help, you need validated, you need a support system, we need healthy coping mechanisms. But I want you to see that you will have hope that there is still a relationship to be had with this child, even though the beginnings might not be picture perfect, right? They're not insta worthy, but, but wow. there's hope for that. I'm going to cry now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is so beautiful. I love you because I can see how that would be just very profound for um, a mother who's struggling. I mean, even if you don't have postpartum depression, you're going to have days. Yes. Doesn't matter. You don't have to get to that extreme. I mean, you you can just have really bad days and a book like this is really going to help turn things around for you. Wow. Yes. Yes. And that's what my hope is. And then I also wanted, here's another great way to use this book, is if you're having a hard day and your husband doesn't see it, right? He just can't get it. Pick a picture in here. That's you. And this, and say this one right here, this is me right now. Like I know you seem to think it's not that big of a deal, but this is me. And I think that I do believe that those are the tools that help spouses get it, that help that connection with your spouse. And that's, you know, kind of on my agenda down the road too, because it was an extremely low point in our marriage. You know, my husband had no idea what was going on. He didn't know why I was so angry. You know, it was, he just was like, kind of like, ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense kind of thing. And I'd love to, that's down the road. It's like, hey, how can you still see your spouse? How can you still connect with your spouse? How can you support your spouse? Because I certainly couldn't support him in any way because I had nothing left, you know? Right. And, and you know, we learned from it. We worked through it and we certainly are stronger and we can talk about it now, which is a great 
a great place to be. But I think having something like this, I could have shown him a picture. And I think that that would have helped him understand and see me, right? Just be able to see me a little bit more in my struggle. Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Natalie, thank you again. And uh, once again, you can find Natalie's book, Dear Mama, on Amazon and check her website out as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, we'll be talking soon. Thank you for your time, Sandy. Wow. That's all I have to say about that. That was incredible. Such a important message out there, not just for women that are experiencing uh, postpartum depression, but anybody who's experiencing depression. It's such an important message that we have to start talking about. And like I said to Natalie during the interview, it's an emergency right now that we're facing in this country. So if you know any new mothers and you're sensing that there could be an issue there, you know, or if you're experiencing an issue, please seek the help of the medical professional. You'll be so much better off as a result. So her book, Dear Mama, is available on Amazon. And Mother's Day is coming up. So buy this book for every expecting family or new family that you know. It's certainly a great gift. And any HR departments out there, this is also a great thing to offer to your employees because, uh, you know, People sometimes need help and they don't know they need help. And like I said during the interview, you don't have to have postpartum depression as a new mother. You're going to have bad days as a new mom. And and this book is such an, you know, it just helps you feel like, okay, it's okay. What I am going through is okay. So yeah, get this book for every expecting mother or new family that you know. And uh, they'll be they'll be very grateful for that. So... Thank you for listening today. Please check out my website, sandyscarlotta.com. My book, Happiness Solved, Climbing 100 Steps, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and of course, my publisher, Archway Publishing. Please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Coach Sandy Scarlotta. And if you're listening to this on my YouTube channel, Happiness Solved, please subscribe. I'd be very grateful to you for your support. I hope that uh, all is well in your world and that you're staying safe and healthy. And that more importantly, I just hope that your life is filled with peace, joy, love, and happiness. Thank you all. Until next time.